You're listening to the Identity at the Center podcast. This is the show that talks about identity and access management and making sure you know who has access to what. Let's get started. Welcome to the Identity at the Center podcast. I'm Jeff and that's Jim. Hey, Jim. Hey, Jeff. How are you? Oh, not so bad yourself. Good. Keeping dry. Uh, like I said, I'm looking out my my window at my pond. It will probably be a lake tomorrow. It might be oceanfront. And we got the big hurricane that's going to go right over top of my house, Hurricane Elsa. Hurricane Elsa is going to let it rain, let it rain, I guess, is the way it's going to go, huh? Yeah, I'm, I'm less worried about the rain in my particular situation, but we've got some trees that uh, I'm, I guess I'm more concerned about the wind blowing a tree over onto my, my roof. I have a roof over my head, so I don't have a whole lot to complain about, uh, but the trees could change that. This is true. And I think, you know, from a tiny perspective, it probably works out pretty well because I know you're going to be on vacation uh, in a couple of weeks. I think you're going to somewhere in Florida. Right. Yeah, actually, I'm going what I thought was the original path uh, pretty close to Tampa. Um, and it looks like the, the storm changed path. Changed his path a little bit uh, so that it went a bit north of that. But now it's going to be a direct hit over my home in Augusta, Georgia. It's going to make a path over to Columbia, South Carolina. Anyway, this is not the Weather Channel, so (laughs) (laughs) I'll stop there. Thank you for tuning into the the late weather news as you're listening to this maybe weeks or months after it took place. (laughs) Yeah, right. Timely and relevant content. This is what we strive for in the Identity at the Center podcast. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, well, I think hey, the, I the important thing is the timing, right? You're on vacation. You're going to Florida. I'm actually going to Key West in a couple of weeks myself. So I'm not looking forward to, you know, being part of a uh, of a hurricane situation at that point either. But we'll see how it goes. Well, folks are interested in how the sausage is made. We're recording with um, Sarah, you know, a couple of days before this one will go live. But we've been recording some back episodes so that while we're on vacation, we don't miss our publication schedule. Um We've been pretty anal about that in terms of getting our episodes out every Monday at 12 noon Eastern time. So uh, planning to keep that keep that going throughout the throughout the year. Yeah, two years, 100 episodes and 101 is going to be this one. You mentioned Sarah. So why don't we introduce her? Her name is Sarah Cicchetti. She is the principal product manager for AWS Identity. She's also the co-founder, board member and president for ID Pro which is a lot of different things going on. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thanks very much, Jeff. Yeah, so I'm excited to have you on here because, uh, for well, for a couple of reasons, right? So for ID Pro, I've been a member, I think, since inception, which I know you founded that a couple of years ago, 2017, I believe. Correct. So I've been there since the beginning. A um, little bit of a fine wall, but I, did, I have served on a couple of boards, one for the board selection um, committee, whatever. <laughs> Sorry, I'm butchering the name on that one, but yeah. for that. And then most recently on the ID Pro certification or CID Pro, which we'll talk about later. Yeah. Um, but before we get too far along, um, what I'd like to understand, though, is from your perspective, um, you know, how did you get into the identity space? Is it something that you chose uh, or did it choose you? Um, I sort of fell into it sideways, which I think is more or less what happens to everyone. Um, uh, my undergraduate degree is in physics. I was really excited about being a rocket scientist when I was in my uh, early 20s and then um, got my undergraduate degree in physics and realized that uh, one undergraduate degree is not quite enough to go be a rocket scientist, that you need a lot more school. And I was not up for a lot more school at that point in my life. Um, and so I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I went and I got like a secretary job at a nonprofit and uh, their website was god awful. And so I took it upon myself to make the website better. And like they were using a content management system based on Python. So I taught myself Python. And um, then they moved their headquarters from Seattle to where I'm based to New York. And uh, I said, well, moving to New York on a secretary salary just really doesn't seem like a good life plan. <laughs> and so uh, I'm going to stay in Seattle and I'll take the severance package. And uh, But while I'm doing that, can you change my title? to like a technology services, something, something. And they said, sure, like that's the least we can do. We feel super bad for laying you off. And so they changed my title. I became a technology services, something, something. And then eventually I got recruited by an identity team who basically said, "Um, we know identity really well. This is at the University of Washington. They've actually built a lot of the identity tools that other universities used and open sourced them. And they said, you don't need to know identity. We can teach you. And like, you have a year to ask all the stupid questions. 
And that was awesome. Um, and I had just gotten out of grad school at the time. And so uh, the first thing they said was, hey, you should go and read all of the new specifications and like summarize them and tell us about them. And so like I went and read Fido and I went and read UMA and I went and read OAuth and everything that was going on at the time. Um, and uh, then I started going to conferences and I met the people who had written the standards, uh, which was really amazing. And so I got to ask them like, why is it this way? Why did you put this in there? Uh, why do tokens like, why are there only Vera tokens? Why aren't there other kinds of tokens? And like got like long involved in like, normally when you go to technology conferences, People do not have time. They do not want to answer your questions. Um, they will not like sit and explain things to you. They get very impatient with that. And identity people are not that way at all. Identity people are super nice, super generous with their time. And they're so happy that someone has read their standard and that anyone cares. And they will happily like sit in the bar for two hours and explain to you why bearer tokens are bearer tokens. And so I got to learn the identity field really well. Um, and eventually people said, oh, wow, you've like, you've read all these standards and you understood them. Like, can we hire you? Will you work evenings and weekends? Like, can we come, like, will you come to our office and explain these to us? Because we don't have time to read all of them. Um, and so I said, sure. And I started kind of moonlighting in addition to my university job as a contractor. Um, and eventually I was working 20 hours a week as a contractor in addition to my 40 hour a week job, but I was making twice as much money contracting. And so uh, I was able to jump ship and I quit my full-time job and uh, became a contractor. Um, and my, my company was called Engage Identity and that's uh, roughly when I founded ID Pro. So uh, Ian Glazer, who runs Identity for Salesforce and I were, um, I think we were at a bar at RSA and we were bemoaning the fact that uh, security gets so much attention and privacy gets so much attention Right, they have C-suite positions and identity like is this third leg of the stool that's critical to both of them. And it gets no respect, no attention. We don't even have a professional organization that identity nerds can join and like learn more about their own fields. And isn't that a travesty? And then like we looked at each other and we were like, shit, we're gonna have to do all this work ourselves, aren't we? Like we're gonna have to found this thing, we're gonna have to move forward. And uh, so we did that and we founded ID Pro, that was in 2017. And then uh, after that, I spent a year at Ping, and then uh, I came to AWS, and I have loved AWS. I am like a fish in water here. It is totally uh, my culture and my jam, and um, I will probably be here for a long, long time. What so makes that's it? That's my story. That's that's it's a fascinating story. I especially like the part where you sat at a bar and were thinking, <laughs> how are we going to solve this <laughs> issue of awareness right around identity? Because yeah. I feel like the same thing, right? It's it's always been kind of tucked under. Uh, you know, InfoSec or, you know, maybe audit it in, in some earlier stages and things like that. But um, it really is foundational from a, any security component has to have identity in it. And if, if you don't have that addressed, you're going to have a bad time. You're probably going to be uh, in, in the news for all the wrong reasons. So I'm, I'm glad that you started it. I'm glad that it started at a bar. That's even better. Um, and we've had, <laughs> we've had Ian on the show as well. I think he kicked off our first episode for 2021. So, um, you know, he's a good dude. Definitely will echo what you said too about the identity industry being so welcoming. I think it's one of the industries, at least that I've been part of, where, you know, everyone really is, you know, willing to share their knowledge. It's not an arms race when it comes to uh, trying to be better or worse. I mean, I understand there's probably some some of that when it comes to product, you know, for sure, you know, people are trying to, you know, have the best product out there. But at the end of the day, all the people who are in the industry are very willing to share, you know, information. And we have we have them on this show and we talk to them at conferences, you know, and we're going to all times of different things. And, you know, people are very gracious with their time. And I would certainly encourage folks who, you know, are looking to get an identity or if they've only been an identity for a short time or if they've been an identity for a long time, reach out and talk to somebody, right? I mean, I think you'll find most people are, you know, pretty open to have that. And, you know, they are certainly uh, receptive to having their work read and commented on. Uh, otherwise, you know, it dies somewhere in a, in a LinkedIn <laughs> post somewhere where, you know, maybe not a lot of people might see it. So definitely echo that for sure. Yeah. And a lot of the work that we do in identity uh, has to do with interoperability, right? So we are unlike other technologies in that we have to work together. And, the way to make our customers have better experiences is for us to talk to each other and make sure that all of the attributes that we have are coming across and that they're coming across correctly and in the way that customers expect. 
And so identity is kind of an unusual field to work in, in that you have to work with your competitors. And we have these kind of teams of rivals all the time where we have to build standards together. And so we all know each other and we can all share knowledge. And that's really the only way to learn this field. Like there is no accredited undergraduate degree for identity and access management. You can't get one. You have to learn it on the job. It's the only way. So I got to imagine that not everyone always agrees when you're sitting in these rooms and you're trying to come up with something that is interoperable between different products. What is, what is something that people might argue about? When oh, it comes sure. to integration. I mean, I'm not looking for, you know, dirt or anything, but I'm curious as someone who is not taking part of these conversations, you know, what are some of the things that you guys are trying to figure out? And maybe one organization or one person, you know, thinks it should be done this way and another person another way. Um, how do you kind of come to consensus around that? So one of the big contentious things, I was one of the co-authors of the NIST Digital Identity Guidelines, which were rewritten in 2018. And one of the really contentious things was that we wanted to uh, deprecate SMS MFA because uh, when you send a multi-factor authentication code as a text message, uh, that text message can be intercepted with off-the-shelf hardware and software. We know that. And so it's not very secure. Uh, there's SIM jacking, right? There's lots of ways for an attacker to get to that, um, to get to that message. SMS as an infrastructure was never intended to be secure. And so, uh, the telco companies obviously took issue with us publicly saying this is insecure and we need to deprecate it and said, look, we have ways to detect SIM jacking. We have ways to time limit these codes so that they can't be used for very long. Like this is an okay way to do um, multi-factor authentication and it's better than just a password. Like there's no question about that. And it's really easy to deploy. It doesn't require anyone to install an app. And so um, there are a lot of benefits to it. There are a lot of drawbacks to it. And the same thing is happening, like the same sort of discussion is happening right now with using email for multi-factor authentication. For a long time, we said, no, 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 no. That doesn't even count as multi-factor authentication because it's supposed to be something you know, something you have, and something you are. And if you just have a password and email, then that's something that's protected by a password and something else that's protected by a password. And so you're not protecting against different kinds of attacks. Um, but if you're in a corporate environment where you can put multi-factor on the email, then maybe that is a valid form of MFA because you know that that person has had another factor checked via another channel, right? And so uh, a lot of companies are having this struggle with like, okay, what counts as MFA? What doesn't count as MFA? Does it have to be um, just more secure than just a password or is there a higher bar? for security that we want to talk about. So yes, uh, identity nerds love to argue and uh, we're very bad at, at agreeing on things, And uh, but we're good at moving forward. We do build new technologies fairly quickly, like the identity field moves, moves forward really fast. Yeah, I think even fishable forms of MFA are better than no MFA at all. Um, you know, it's, it's funny because I was listening to your, your how you got into IAM story and you're talking about all these standards and people are like, you understand these? And you're like, yeah, um, they have to remember that you were you wanted to be a rocket scientist and you have a degree in physics. So <laughs> it it's, all adds up to me anyway. Um, but the other part, kind of the the end point of your journey or the last where you currently are, AWS um, putting together or being responsible for the AWS Cognito project. Um, is fascinating. I mean, I work with clients all the time. Uh, and when we're, you know, working on uh, customer IEM projects and strategies, the question asked is always, what about Amazon? What about Amazon's uh, customer IEM capabilities? And so that's AWS Cognito, right? Maybe you can tell us a little bit about what it is, uh, who's it for, and all those great things. Yeah, so the way that AWS thinks about identity is we divide it between workforce and consumer. And it's it's absolutely huge here. So the between the two of those, we do over 500 million authentication and authorization calls per second. So it is just like the scale that you work at an AWS is just bonkers. Wait, you said 500 million per second? Yeah. That's ridiculous. <laughs> It is completely ridiculous. Only slightly um, less than what Bezos makes per hour, but anyway, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, so uh, so the part that I am really excited about and that I am diving a lot of my energy into is the, the Amazon Cognito product, which is our consumer-facing product. And the reason I'm really excited about it is because I don't think that any company is really delivering a great consumer identity product right now uh, as a service, right? Consumer identity is a friction point at the beginning of every app, at the beginning of everything you want to do, right? And there's no great way to have a, a end user remember a password or have to enter an MFA code, right? That's always a pain. And so we're looking for, uh, we're researching new ways. How can we make this easier? How can we make it less friction? How can we uh, make it harder for attackers to get in and it easier for good guys to get in? And that's a really interesting problem for me. And Amazon Cognito is just a lot of fun because it's uh, it's a Swiss army knife, uh, or I like to say it's like a box of identity Legos. Like you can build a whole bunch of stuff with it. It's got a native directory, it does OIDC, it does SAML. Uh, we just added token revocation. Like there's a whole bunch of stuff you can build um, just with Cognito. And so just talking to Cognito customers, our, our customers do all sorts of really neat things with the product that we never expected them to do. And so we can, talk to them about, hey, what are you building? Oh, you're building a castle. Cool. That guy over there is building a car. Like, uh, if we built a wheel, like, would that help both of you somehow? And so uh, we're building new stuff all the time and talking to people about how they're using the product. And it's a lot of fun. I won't claim to be an expert on Cognito. So for the folks who aren't as familiar with it, you mentioned workforce and customer IAM. Um, is it the same product for both? So Cognito is both, and then it's just a matter of configuration, or is there something more to it that people should be thinking about it when they're talking about either constituency? Nope. So Cognito is the consumer identity piece, and then uh, Workforce is handled by a product called AWS SSO. Okay. So we have SSO, we have Cognito. Yep. And then on the Cognito side, I guess who's taking advantage of Cognito? Is it app developers who are already building on AWS services? Uh, do you see uptick from maybe people who are using other platforms like Azure or Google Cloud, but then they come in and use Cognito for some reason? Can you kind of help me understand how, you know, what, what does it look like from a development perspective if I'm trying to layer on I am on top of my product? We do. So we see multi-cloud use cases and we see AWS native use cases. Um, and we see just like, hey, I'm hosting a, an app on like, Rackspace or whatever DreamHost, whatever my web developer is, and I just want to add some identity on top of it. Um, so yeah, we get customers from all over the place uh, using Amazon Cognito, but it's mainly app developers. Yeah, it's people who uh, are building something new and they just need an easy way to log people in. And we call that undifferentiated heavy lifting, right? They don't want to do all of that heavy lifting. It's not going to make their company a better company to build a whole login system from scratch and try to do it in a secure way. Uh, but they know that at Amazon, security is job zero. And if Amazon is holding all the passwords and no passwords ever go through my system, I feel way better about that than I do about trying to build this all myself to a standard that would be considered best of breed. So Sarah, what are the use cases that uh, Cognito supports today? Is it just the authentication? Uh, do you have a directory? Do you do you know have a registration widget? Or you know, talk to us about what's there today and maybe a little bit about what we can expect to see in the future. Yeah, so today it is, uh, it's a native directory. It's a federation service. Um, it is authentication. And um, we have a service called a hosted UI where we will host your login page, your account recovery page, your MFA page, anything that has to do with user credentials or uh, creating the account, recovering the account, um, that those you can host on AWS servers, they'll still look like they're on your domain, so there won't be a change in the URL, but um, it will be hosted by AWS so that uh, credentials never go on your server. You never have to touch any of that. Um, and so you are the liability of having to deal with passwords and usernames and, and all of that is taken away from you. Uh, which our customers really like. And um, we're going to continue building. As I said, we want to make this an easier uh, experience with less friction and more security. And so those are the types of things you'll see us releasing on Cognito in the future. I believe I, I heard somewhere that you've kind of taken a low-code, no-code approach. Uh, is that correct? And um, 
whether it is or isn't, is there a certain developer skill set or language that um, people need to kind of be familiar with in order to um, have success with Cognito? Or is it something where you guys support pretty much whatever, bring your own kind of um, language? Yeah, uh, so we kind of go both in the direction of if you want to do a bunch of custom code, we have APIs you can call and you can use Cognito for that and that's totally fine. Uh, but we also recognize that uh, a lot of people don't want to do that. Like they want a low code, no code option. And so we're building out more and more functionality in the AWS console that is just like, do you want MFA? Yes or no, click a radio button, click save and you're done. Like you don't have to write all that code. And uh, we will even host the page for you. And so there is like, you can have a Cognito instance up and running with zero code, which is really cool. Uh, that's something that, you know, when I started in identity, that was not an option for many vendor. And so uh, we're hoping to get more and more uh, people into identity just as administrators who know, who know the security implications of the decisions they're making, but don't necessarily have coding skills. Yeah, I always struggle with organizations that are looking to build something that already exists as a product somewhere else. Yeah. And I think what you hit earlier was something that I always agree with is, you know, who's spending more on security? Is it going to be, you know, an organization that's doing 500 million <laughs> authentications per second? Or is it going to be, you know, an organization that, you know, builds transmissions? I'm going to go with, you know, the company that's actually probably spending more money, you know, on the actual security part of it because chances are they're probably going to be more successful with it. And it's not core competency or really core to the product or the mission, right, for another organization. So it makes a lot of sense to be able to take advantage of those types of solutions. And I definitely see the low-code, no-code approach. I love the Lego brick analogy. I think that's something that, uh, you know, that, that I've seen elsewhere. You know, we see it a lot in, um, like, ITSM tools. So things like ServiceNow and Pega and other things like that where, you know, it's becoming more business friendly to configure identity services. Um, but all that does is really masking the hard work that takes place behind the scenes, right, to make sure that that stuff works and interoperability and things like that. And I think that leads me to kind of the next conversation topic that I want to bring up, which is around ID Pro itself, because I do think it takes a army of really smart people to kind of come up with these types of standards and having the conversations, right, to, to allow... Uh, you know, companies to interact in a safe way <laughs> through their identity mechanisms. So why don't we talk a little about ID Pro? And I know that, um, you know, just for a starting topic, let's say, um, you recently were at Identiverse and announced the new CID Pro certification. Uh, I know that's something that has been near and dear to a lot of people's uh, heart within ID Pro itself and kind of figuring out, you know, how do you prove that you can actually do IAM work, <laughs> right? Are you qualified? So maybe... Why don't we start with that? And you know, what is this CID Pro? You know, who is it for? Yeah. So uh, this kind of goes back to the conversation that Ian and I had when we founded ID Pro, right? Like identity is critical to the success of security and privacy, but security has CISSP, right? And privacy has uh, as certifications as well. But there's nothing for identity. There's no vendor-neutral way to prove. Yes, I know general identity skills. I can do critical thinking about security issues. Um, until now. And so we decided, hey, we're going to build one. Uh, we started building a body of knowledge last year um, where ID Pro members who are uh, people who have been in the industry for decades are writing uh, scholarly journal level articles about identity and access management topics. And we said, oh, we can certify against that. And so uh, uh, you, Jeff, and a lot of other identity professionals all got together and uh, wrote questions that said, hey, uh, someone with, like our target candidate is someone who has two years of experience, either as a developer or an administrator with an identity system. And so these are questions that are aimed at someone who's been in the field for two years. And hey, this is what you should know by the time you've been in the field for two years. This is what you should be up to speed on. And so someone with two years of experience should be able to take the test um, and pass it without studying. That's our goal. So I think that's a good target audience. It, it, I like it because it's still, you know, relatively entry level, but does require some experience in the industry, right, to be able to kind of come up with stuff or at least be able to read the, the body of knowledge on the idpro.org website, uh, which, is a, which is a great read. So I think if people are looking for good identity content, 
um, go there. And I don't say that just because we're on the list as a podcast, <laughs> but also because it is, you know, there's a wealth of information out there. And I do like the fact that, you know, if you're looking to work through the certification process through ID Pro, essentially that's the page that you can go to to study, right? There's most of the questions I think have sources that come from that area to make it, um, you know, I won't say easy, right? Because you still need to, to have the knowledge and demonstrate it. Um, but easy from the fact that you're not having to scour the web, eight different, you know, websites, a bunch of YouTube channels, <laughs> you know, however people are studying for things like security plus and CISSPs and, you know, things like that. I think it's a good place to start. Um, you mentioned that the certification focuses on some more of the, like the technical and the administrator side of identity. Um, I think there's a large constituency of people who are maybe not as technical. They might be more on a business analyst or uh, process oriented when it comes to identity. What are your thoughts around how do we include those people as part of that? Is is this test for them as well? Um, or do you see like a different path to kind of demonstrate maybe IAM as a process knowledge and maybe less so on the technical side of things? So a couple of things. Uh, one is that it is intended for them. Um, we intentionally crafted the questions so that they're not gotcha questions, right? There's nothing that requires like rote memorization of the FIDO standard where you must know exactly what string this API returns, right? Like that's not the kind of thing that we're... Um, testing against. The questions are things like, uh, hey, uh, a developer is making an identity system and uh, he has a, uh, he's getting a token from a federation situation and uh, he decides not to check the signature on the token because his system works fine without checking that signature and he's got stuff to do. And so uh, he just pushes to production and leaves the office, right? If you're an identity person who doesn't know that, like, you should be checking signatures on tokens to make sure that they actually came from where they said they were coming from, uh, you should fail this test. And so if you don't know those sorts of things that require, like, critical thinking and understanding of the system and why we trust the system, those are the types of things that we're testing for, um, not specific uh, gotcha questions. Um, however, uh, people have expressed interest in future certifications and going deeper. So we've had people say, hey, I want to do a whole certification about governance and how you govern an identity system and how the business processes work, how you make sure that all of these mechanisms are in place that keep the system healthy. And hey, I want to do a whole legal certification about what are the legal restrictions and requirements and enablements around identity and, and can I prove that I know those things? And so for future certifications, like we could go in that direction where we're going deep into one specific role in identity, um, or we could go by industry and we could say, hey, FinServe identity has its own uh, special requirements and healthcare identity has its own special requirements and like hospitality identity has its own special requirements, right? And so we could go that direction, like kind of a horizontal direction as well. So there's a few different ways to slice it. And uh, if all of you listening out there have opinions, uh, please join ID Pro, join the certification committee because these decisions are decisions that are being made now and they're going to affect uh, identity professionals in the future, so. I think this is such important work and it's really um, providing some um, credibility or, you know, if somebody needs to have some kind of certification to kind of advance in their career or at least prove some base level, baseline level of knowledge. Uh, I think that's where certification can be really handy. And it's also kind of a way for folks who are kind of early in their career. You know, it, it's interesting, Sarah, because I think in the beginning of the episode where you were kind of describing your background of whether you chose IAM or IAM chose you, I think you said kind of, of course, IAM chose me, right? Because Folks from who have been in this industry for a long time, that's how, you know, 99% of us got into IM was it chose us. You know, we kind of lucked our, our way into this very cool industry. But I think in the future, that's actually going to change. You know, maybe somebody will have their entry into IM uh, via a project, but they others might choose like, hey, that's a re uh, an industry that I know somebody who's in the industry. I want to get into that industry and they start by getting certified. And what the certification really means to me, like what you're talking about with the, um, you know, signing tokens, like those are kind of like some baseline knowledge that if you have that, you kind of understand what's going on when it comes to IAM. So I, I think it's very important what you're doing. And I think it 
really helps that next generation of IAM practitioner get into the space, um, which I think is important for all of us to do is kind of like handing handing this industry down and making sure that uh, the next round of qualified people don't have to um, kind of kill themselves to figure it out that we're, you know, giving that, passing our knowledge on. Um, but I wanted to get into kind of some of the, the tactical components. Now, if somebody wanted to take this exam, you know, do they need to be an ID Pro member? Um, where would they go to sign up? And, you know, how much does it cost to take the certification exam? Sure. Uh, you don't have to be a member. It's open to the public. Um, you sign up at idpro.org slash CIDPro. That's what we're calling Certified Identity Professionals. CIDPro is the credential you get. Um, however, if you pass the exam, you do get a year of IDPro membership for free. So you can come uh, hang out with all of the IDPros. We have a Slack that we all hang out on all day and uh, lots of people ask random questions of like identity professionals who have been around. Hey, you've been around for 10 years. Like, how did you handle this problem? How did you do this? Um, those sorts of things. Uh, the exam is $750 and uh, IDPro is a nonprofit. Nobody's making money off of this. This is what it costs us um, to develop and deliver the test. And we're hoping to make this a sustainable program where we can deliver more tests in the future on different subsets of identity. So yeah. I think it'd be interesting to see um, identity as a um, formal education path, right? I think there's a lot of in information security, but building out the curriculum for someone to show career progression specifically with identity would be interesting to see. And I think this is kind of one of those first steps towards that. Um, I will tell you right now that the Slack channel for ID Pro is just alone. That is worth the, <laughs> the price of admission for an ID Pro uh, membership, which I believe is $150 a year, Correct, uh, at yeah. least if I remember. So just that Slack channel alone is well worth it. And then you get everything else. So I think we're bearing the lead a little bit. It's like, that's, that's where we want people to be at because there are really smart people and really friendly people who are asking questions, answering questions. And yeah, if you're struggling with an IAM question somewhere, you know, there, there's forums like, you know, I'll probably date myself stack overflow, right. And things like that, right. Where people go to ask questions. It's a great spot to be able to really pick the brains of, you know, fellow identity nerds out there to, you know, answer things that chances are someone might have seen it or solved that already or can tell you what doesn't work so you don't go down a rabbit hole of, of you know, making mistakes that have been mistake, made before. So I think that's always really helpful. Um, so I, I'm, I'm a big supporter of ID Pro for sure. Um, and, and I love the fact that there's a certification for it. Um, I wish I had contributed more. I think I have one question <laughs> on the test and there's others who are out there are definitely double digits, uh, you know, like yourself. I know Ian has written about a, a lot of questions. I think people like Matthew Carter and Chris Phillips, I believe, have also, you know, contributed a lot. So it has taken a lot of work to get to the stitch, uh, you know, to the to the state you're in right now in a, in a launch release. Um, how, I guess from start to finish, how long did it take to actually get this into, okay, we've got something, let's announce it and let's let let people start registering it. Was it six months, a year, longer than that? It took almost a year. Yeah. Um, I So I took three months of leave. I took maternity leave in early uh, 2020. And I came back uh, in July expecting that the board would have moved forward on this project, the ID Pro board. And uh, they had just been super busy and nothing had happened. And so uh, I had cleared my calendar to take leave. And I was like, all right, I'm going to take this on. Like, I'm going to do this. We're going to bring this in. And like, I'm going to launch it at Identiverse next year. So so what happens when you show up at Identiverse and, and you have that that uh, presentation that you gave to kind of announce it? What was it like to kind of get out on that stage and say, okay, this thing that we've been thinking about, here it is, have at it. What's What was the reaction to it? It was so amazing, Jeff. Like I literally did a happy dance on stage. I was so, so happy we could finally open registration for the test. Um, and everyone was stopping me in the hallways and going, I'm so glad you did this. I'm going to sign up. I'm going to have my whole company sign up. I'm going to have my whole consultancy sign up. Like uh, we're getting a huge amount of traction for it. So it's just really great to see that uh, as it, the, the industry was clearly ready for this. Like this was the right time. I'm kind of sad that I didn't get to Identiverse this year. Um, you spoke at Identiverse. You just kind of 
alluded to it doing the happy dance um can you give us a recap of the conference i know i'm i'm definitely going next year uh you know god willing but um can you give us kind of a recap and tell us a little bit about what you enjoyed what was your favorite session sure um the conference this year was a lot smaller because of the pandemic and so the people who came were really industry veterans and they really pulled out all the stops. I think they were, they were so excited to be there um, that the sessions were like extra well done and extra researched. Uh, I think it also helped that they had to pre-record beforehand because it was a hybrid event where half of it was done online. And so they couldn't just put in their slides the night before they actually had to at least do one try run to record it for the online audience. Um, but it was, it was really awesome. Uh, there's a great session by, um, Tori Meyer, who's a first time I'd ever speaker. She's a product manager at Ping, and she's talking about why you need product management in your IAM team, um, in order to have strategy and listen to customers and not just do project management of like Gantt charts and, um, how you get things done, but really making sure you're doing the right things and making sure you're doing the right things for the long term. Um, that's a really great talk. David Lee uh, of Cloud Entity gave a great talk on diversity in the identity industry and how we can uh, do real work there and have real solutions and not just do sort of a thoughts and prayers kind of, oh, gee, this is bad. I hope it gets better kind of thing. Um, uh, Brian Campbell gave a great talk on uh, the new PAR standard. Uh, John Lettinen uh, did a talk um, that is actually going to be a book, I guess. He wrote a whole book on uh, actually identity at AWS. So uh, there were a ton of good talks this year. And I think the online portal is still open so people can watch those. Um, and then normally Identiverse puts them up online for free a few months later. So they may be coming to the internet soon, um, but I don't know for sure on that. Yeah, I'll have to keep an eye out for that because I, yeah, I think usually they do have them online somewhere to view. And I'm sad too, I didn't make it. This is the first one I've missed since 2016 at least. Um, so um, it, for whatever reason, I, I was, I'm looking forward to traveling <laughs> and just didn't make it to this one. So uh, definitely next year for sure. Um, it's a great conference. I think it's the best identity conference, at least in the U.S., um, that I've been to. Um, not that other ones are bad, but I think this one being so specifically focused on identity and the fact that while it's hosted by Ping, I think Ping does a good job of separating it out, that it's not all about Ping. Um, and it is separate, you know, enough where there are certainly competitors there and it really has turned into, you know, not just the Ping Identity Conference, it's its, its own thing, right? And I think they've done a really good job of having that level of abstraction, that layer uh, of kind of separation to make it a little more vendor neutral, which obviously that's what we try to do on our show too, is, is not do commercials or anything like that and really kind of more talk more substance. Um, one thing I thought was really interesting as we were kind of uh, prepping before the call is you mentioned uh, your fondness for escape rooms. So I think there's a couple of things because you told us a story about one that you attended in Denver. But before we get to that, for folks who aren't familiar, what is an escape room? Uh, so an escape room is a series of puzzles. Uh, they actually started in Seattle where I live. So it's not like coincidental that I'm into this. Um, it's uh, the in the first one, you were literally locked in a room and the key to get the door was like in a safe and you had to get the code to the safe. And in order to get the code to the safe, you had to find all the pieces of the puzzle. In order to find all the pieces of the puzzle, you had to find all these keys and you had to do all these uh, solutions to different puzzles around the room. Um, and some of them involved like mirrors and lasers and some of them involved like uh, literal jigsaw puzzles and some of them involved like getting a magnet through a maze. And so... Um, it's a whole bunch of fun puzzles that uh, you have an hour to solve. And then uh, if you don't solve them, you are locked in that room forever and you starve and you die. Mm, okay. So there's so definitely some repercussions for, for not, <laughs> for not getting, uh, getting things done. And this is, so I guess the important thing, right? This is, this is in the real world, right? We're not talking about a web page, although maybe there's a computer with, you know, a web page open, but you're actually physically in a room and there are, puzzles or things and a theme usually associated with it, right? To kind of say, okay, you need to get to this objective or whatever that may be, open the safe or, you know, find the key to the exit, whatever it may be, which I think is fascinating. I have not done one yet myself. 
Um, but I know people who have, and they just keep talking about it and raving about it. And it's a little bit irritating sometimes about how much they like it. <laughs> but why don't we talk about the one that, that happened in Denver? Uh, because I think it was an interesting story on a couple of different fronts and I don't want to spoil it. So why don't you go ahead and tell it? Yeah, so I try to get some ID Pro members together at every Identiverse to go do an escape room. Uh, so the last one we did was in Washington, D.C. in 2019. Um, and for that one, we set an all-time record for the fastest team to get out of the room. Because it turns out that, like, identity people are really good creative problem solvers. And so, like, it's a very transferable skill set. And so this one, we, like, we had really high expectations. We were like, oh, yeah, like, what's the record for the room? We're going to beat that record. Um, and uh, we did one in Denver this year at Identiverse. And uh, the record for the room was 27 minutes. And we got out in 33. So we were pretty darn close. But we had to haul ourselves all the way from uh, the conference center, which is more by the airport, out to downtown Denver. And uh, we were going to Uber, but apparently Ubers are really expensive and unreliable now because like post IPO, they want to make money or something. And uh, but as it turns out, like at 6 p.m. on a Tuesday, like limos are super cheap. And so we actually rented a limo and uh, eight ID Pro members uh, drank champagne and were ferried to an escape room in downtown Denver and then uh, and then came back. And so. Uh, it was a, it was an extra fancy escape. Room so if you need any more around. motivation to join ID Pro, that's right. <laughs> Sarah will pick you up in a limo and take you to a escape room. Is that what I'm hearing? And you will get out in record time. There's a fifty percent chance. <laughs> I just imagine this 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 image of like um, this limo pulling up to Identiverse. And then a whole bunch of identity nerds kind of like hopping into it and people sticking out of the top of the sunroof, whatever, <laughs> drinking champagne as they're like, you know, onwards, my OAuth companions. Swinging their UBKs <laughs> back and forth, yeah. <laughs> yeah, to That's downtown. Exactly and then they're like, like, you know, making identity <laughs> jokes the whole way. I mean, this is now really getting into like probably true identity nerd, ter nerd, nerd, ah, identity nerd territory for sure. That's right. Uh, but it sounds like a lot of fun. So, um, you know, I think what we want to do is probably end up here on a lighter note. What is your ideal escape room? Like, describe it for, for us and the listeners. Uh, so let me tell you about a few of the, the escape rooms that I've, I've really been impressed by. Uh, and, like, some combination of those would probably be my ideal. Uh, so the first one is in L.A. It's on Hollywood Boulevard. There is an escape hotel that has, like, eight different escape rooms. And I did not even know this was there, but I was there with my family and uh, we walked in and we were like, do you have any open? Like, and they were like, yes, we have lots. Which one do you want? And we were like, which one is the hardest? And uh, I forget what the name of the room was, but they were like, it's this room. And, but uh, you start off blindfolded and chained to the floor. And we were like, cool, we're in. Like, let's do it. Right. And it's in Hollywood. Right. So it's Hollywood production level. Um, so that one was super fun. And then, um, Hey Sarah, are you sure that that was an escape room? <laughs> <laughs> right. You have to wonder when they do that. Yeah. No kidding. Um, Sorry. And go then ahead. there's a great one, uh, in Austin that we did, uh, where we, we were supposed to, there was this whole cabin that they had built indoors and so you started outside the cabin, you had to break in, and then you solve a bunch of puzzles in the cabin and the fireplace swings open and you're like, okay, what's behind the fireplace? And you crawl in and there's an adult sized slide to the next level of the building where there are more puzzles. And so you have to go down the slide. Um, that was awesome. And then my absolute favorite escape room is here in Seattle. Uh, the company that founded escape rooms is called Puzzle Break. And they started with two and they found that they had groups that were trying to compete to see which one could get out faster. Um, but they were two different rooms. And so it wasn't really a fair contest. And so they built two identical escape rooms. And not so not only can you bring two groups and see who gets out faster, but there is a it's all seance themed. And there's like this plastic candelabra on the wall that lights up when the other group hits a milestone. So you can sort of tell like who's ahead. So like we went in and then like we're looking for things. And like there's this clearly this like chess set that we're supposed to put together. And like there's one piece missing that we can't find somewhere in the room. And then one candle on the candelabra lights up and we're like, 
oh, hell no. Like, they already found the chess piece. Like, we have got to get to work. Like, this is not cool. So I think, like, some combination of, like, competitive escape room that involves being, like, blindfolded and chained to the floor that also involves slides. Like, that's, that's that would be the combination of the best things I have seen. That's an eclectic mix of, of uh, flavors <laughs> for your uh, escape room. I like the idea of the competition part, right? Kind of racing against someone else. Or yeah, maybe I firmly believe there should be like hotel, there should be like escape room Olympics. I, there needs I mean, to be a world champion. This sounds kind of like the movie Saw. If you, if you <laughs> want to think about it in that perspective, that's maybe a little bit more you know morbid. Yeah, um, way to end on a light note, Jeff. Yeah, no, no kidding, right? Uh, you know, I like to I like to keep it real for the folks. Um, <laughs> you know, I haven't done one myself, but I I would imagine that if I were going to do one, I would like something that is like virtual reality based somehow where you're not constrained by the limits of physics, man, <laughs> you know, where there's some component to it where you're able to leverage kind of a bunch of different technologies maybe to kind of solve issues or, you know, puzzles things like that. So um, maybe so that's there kind of is what I'm one thinking. of those in Sydney, cool. Australia. And at one point you end up on the moon and like gravity is lower. And so you have to change your whole strategy. Oh my it's gosh. Really cool. Okay. I think we need to uh, do a fact finding mission <laughs> uh, to, uh, to f- come up with some sort of identity problem that will, that needs the identity at the center podcast to be there. Um, that's right. We're going to need our, <laughs> our we're going to need our escape room Sherpa Sarah to help us uh, with that as well. So I think that should be a mission of ours to take on at some point. Sure. Jim, what about yourself? What about, uh, have you ever done an escape room? I've never done an escape room. Um, I thought about the one that Sarah mentioned where there's a key locked in a safe and I've got a safe in my house and I know the combination and half the time it takes me two, three tries to get, <laughs> to get it plugged in. So, oh, so you do it like, yeah. <laughs> once a day. Well, even if I know the combination, I, I, it takes me a while to get the uh, safe open, so I don't think I would succeed. But I think if I was to say what an ideal escape room would be for me, it would be something that's almost impossible to solve, like finding my keys or finding my remote control. <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, even though I was the last person to use it and I put it wherever, uh, still can't find it. <laughs> Sounds to me like every day is an escape room for you, Jim. <laughs> it, it's pretty much true. It's been that way for a long time. Uh, all right. So I think we, I think we brought it back up to the lighter note, which is what we wanted. So we can forgive my, uh, saw reference. Uh, but before we let Sarah go, um, any final words of wisdom, Sarah, that you want to lay on us and lay on the listening audience, uh, for anything we've talked about today? Oh gosh. Yeah. Um, one of the tenets of the OAuth working group that I have made also a tenant, uh, at AWS identity is, uh, make the easy things easy and make the hard things possible. So when you're doing identity, you want uh, to make it as easy as possible for things to get, for people to do things that they do every day, right? Log in, change their password, things like that. And you want to make it possible for them to really dig into this system and write their own code if they want and make their own custom stuff if they want and, and really go to new lengths and new heights. So that's one of the tenets that I firmly believe in when architecting identity. I really like that. I think, you know, there's enough hard things in this world. Let's try to make the easy things easy. That's one of the things, one of the things I've been saying recently is, you know, I know identity can be overwhelming, but the goal is to make it whelming, <laughs> right? <laughs> Just bring it down to a level that's like, okay, there's so many things, so many problems to solve or issues, or whatever, right? And you can easily get overwhelmed with like a list of 100,000 things that need to happen. Let's just let's just take it down to whelmed, right? Let's just fix the things we can fix and just work on it in order. And that's how you eat an elephant one bite at a time. Uh, Jim, how about yourself? Words of wisdom? Yeah, words of wisdom I have is, you know, in preparing for this um, episode, I went out to YouTube and watched some videos on AWS Cognito. So I actually may have known more about it than I let on with my questions. But um, I'd say anybody who's interested, I mean, there are a ton of videos out there on uh, YouTube around AWS Cognito. So if you want to start that educational journey, uh, that's one place to start, but I would actually even turn it over to Sarah because maybe there's better than, than what I found, right? I found things on YouTube, but where else can people go to learn about it? Yeah. Um, so AWS does an annual conference, uh, every year in December in Las Vegas called reInvent. 
And all of the talks from that conference uh, go up on YouTube. So if you search for reInvent and search for Cognito, you'll find some of the some of the best stuff that our solutions architects and our um, our service team has put out there. And that's a great way to get started on learning. Yeah, you should see reInvent banners around when Gartner would do their identity and access management conference, which I believe was kind of like right before it. And yep. it's smart, I think, to kind of you know have the two. It's almost like black hat. And um, uh, one year right? I did both and I was in Vegas for two weeks and that was a terrible mistake. No one should ever stay in Vegas for two weeks. No, I did it for one week. I one like time. Vegas, but I wouldn't want to live there. <laughs> I like Vegas only because, you know, when I go, I'm staying in a hotel. There's good restaurants. You know, usually it's, you know, on a that company expense or something like that, which is also helpful. too. The food so. is amazing, but like that's part of the problem, right? Like you just can't stop eating. Yeah. Well, you know, or you don't have to go outside, right? You you can breathe artificial air for, I think my record is four days. I never saw sunlight once in <laughs> Vegas. So, um, yeah, you know, that's definitely that's, not healthy, Jeff. <laughs> well, you know, that's what gives me my, my, my radiant, uh, pale skin, uh, that, uh, likens me to Casper, the friendly ghost. So, hey Jeff, though, right. how long I, is yeah. the ideal stay in Vegas for, for me, it's four days, anything beyond four days. I was like, I cannot wait to get to the airport. Yeah. I think, uh, I would say the same, but I think that's true for probably most areas, unless you're actually going for leisure, like a beach, or if it's something like you can't go to Europe, for example, for four days, or if you're in Europe, you can't come to the U.S. for four days because it takes you a day to get there, a day to get back. You're going to want to spend more time. So, you know, I could I could probably swing a week, but that's I don't drink really that much. I don't gamble, but I love to people watch. And I'll tell you right now, be, be, be with Las Vegas being one of the best areas, and actually Paris, France, was another fantastic area for people watching. Um, I could I could satisfy that 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 need, you know, for several days and be good. Sarah, what about yourself? What's your what's your ideal Vegas uh, stay duration? I'm with Jim. I think four days is just perfect, and then you got to get out of there. <laughs> and then you're you're throwing your your last leftover coins in the uh, oh, slot let, machine yeah. at the uh, at the airport on your way out. That's right. <laughs> Um, all right. I think that's a good spot that we can leave it for this week. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. I, I really enjoyed the conversation kind of talking about everything from, from an AWS Cognito perspective, but also just congratulations on the ID Pro success and especially on the uh, certification getting out there, CID Pro. So for folks who want to get more information about that uh, certification, you can visit idpro.org slash CID Pro has all the information there. It's open to the public. You don't have to be a member, which is fantastic. I uh, would encourage people to check it out and try to pick out the one question that maybe mine made it onto the test or not. We'll see. <laughs> um, so with that, we'll go ahead and leave it for this week. You can connect with Sarah on LinkedIn as well. I'll have a link to her in our show notes and link to CID Pro, also to AWS Cognito for folks who want to learn more about that specifically. And uh, with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up for this week. Appreciate it. And thanks for listening, and we'll talk with you all in the next one. Thanks for listening to the Identity at the Center podcast. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and visit us on the web at identityatthecenter.com.